Good afternoon, Seven Investors, and welcome to the Friday edition, the post-Yom Kippur edition of Seven Investing Now. My name, of course, is Daniel Books Klein. I'm being joined today by Steve Symington, Simon Erickson, Matt Cochran, and Max Chatsko. Normally, we do something a little silly when we have the whole team here. Dana Bromovitz might join us later as well, but we're going to push the something silly a little further down into the show because we want to talk a little bit at the top about uh, a deal that surprised us, came out of nowhere, into it, a company that's incredibly big that we never think of or most people don't think of. They own QuickBooks. They own Credit Karma. They bought MailChimp for $12 billion. MailChimp was a private company, so we had no way of knowing if it was worth $300 million or $12 billion, but I'm going to assume uh, the people at Intuit know what they're doing. Then we are going to talk about the new iPhone. Uh, I tried all morning while we were doing other things to log in and buy the new iPhone, uh, and I couldn't get into T-Mobile. I could not log in. So I'm taking that as a good sign that pre-orders are heavy. So let's get right to it. Intuit is buying MailChimp for 12 billion. That's billion with a B. If I'd said 12 million, I wouldn't be that surprised either. Again, we have no information uh, about MailChimp's customer base. They're an email subservice. It's actually more expensive than you'd think it would be to sell email and even to send email. And even though it's a commodity, those prices have largely been the same since like, like the 90s. Like So this is actually an area where there's cost associated with it, even though it doesn't feel like it should be. Um, Intuit owns uh, TurboTax. They own Credit Karma. They have their Mint product for small businesses. This is a deceptively gigantic company. And JT looked it up, JT Street, our producer. They're up something like 84% for the year. So this has been a company that is doing really well. But uh, their previous largest uh, acquisition was Credit Karma for $8 billion, uh, and that has worked well. It's, it's a highly integrated product. Um, but let me just throw it out there, and we'll start with Steve first. Steve, at a very surface level, because I know Intuit is not a company you spend a ton of time on. Do you like this deal? Um, I I think I, I could. Intuit's interesting. You know, I I applaud their acquisitive history, right? But uh, we do have some perspective on on Mailchimp's audience. Kind of after the the this deal came out, right? They they said they have two point four million uh, monthly active users. About eight hundred thousand of those are actually paying customers, and uh, I think eight hundred million in annual revenue in twenty twenty, which was up about twenty percent year over year. So uh, I should assume that maybe they've continued that growth, especially given the premium uh, that they've kind of squeezed out of Intuit here. But you know, Intuit itself is a one hundred and fifty billion dollar business now. I, I just took a look before the show; its its stock has kind of quietly quintupled over the past five years. It's up about 83% over the last year, about 50% year to date in 2021. So uh, it definitely taking advantage uh, of its kind of newfound size uh, to acquire a business that, uh, you know, five years ago, it wasn't that much larger then. So uh, kind of an interesting uh, deal and uh, definitely a play on small and medium businesses, which is kind of uh, into its bread and butter, right? So uh, I can see the synergies here and, and it, it makes sense. It doesn't mean I'm any more uh, tempted to buy the stock, but makes sense. I've always been tempted to buy the stock. We're going to go to Matt Cochran in a second, but I want to throw two things out. First, we'd love your questions and comments. So if you're watching the show, if you have questions about what's happening in the market, what we're talking about, what we might talk about, uh, feel free to ask them. I will say that I've regularly met with Intuit executives uh, at various trade shows I go to, and I'm always impressed with how deep their company goes. They have a really large investment in AI and knowing things about your finances as a way to sort of disrupt or to help you plan. So let's say, Matt Cochran, you have like a retirement goal. Intuit has a really good picture of what you need to do and what products might benefit you. Uh, in my opinion, they don't do a good enough job 
marketing themselves as a technology company. Like we think of it as just this boring QuickBooks product, which is obviously a default, but I don't think that's actually what they are. But Matt, you've covered this company for many years. So what are your, what are your top line takeaways for this deal? Uh, Intuit's such a great company. And yes, they do have a consumer side. I mean, they, they, uh, they purchased Credit Karma last year, the big acquisition for them. But more importantly, uh, we talk about Square and Shopify all the time about empowering small businesses. Well, Intuit was like the, the OG, right, of the enabler of small businesses. They've been democratizing that technology you were just talking about, Dan, uh, AI. Uh, they, they've been giving that out to uh, with their platforms to small businesses for years, decades. Uh, their stock is up approximately a cajillion trillion percent since it's uh <laughs> since it went public i mean it's outperformed the market for years great margins great growth rates and uh they know what small businesses want and so they bought mailchimp because this is a great marketing tool for small businesses can reach out to their customers uh through email and you know the great thing about email is you can't be deplatformed so if you're uh you know if you're worried about being canceled if you're worried about like facebook changing its algorithm or or whatever uh, you know, we've had problems. Uh, I've had problems on Twitter before, like being kicked off because there was an imposter account. And then they kicked me off, you know, for a few days. Like if you're a business and you're worried about these kinds of things, well, the one thing you can't be deplatformed from is email. So I think it's, uh, you know, I don't know about the price. I don't know MailChimp's numbers. But I mean, you know, Intuit has a lot of cash. They can afford to spend up for these kinds of acquisitions. And especially if they think it's going to help their overall bundle that they can offer to small merchants. It's sneaky, slowly building out this platform of services. Simon, I know you wanted to weigh in. Max, I apologize. I'm not going to bring you in here because this is not really Max's area, but I promise we will get him involved later. You know, Intuit in really needs to bolster its drug pipeline, and MailChimp has hardly <laughs> any drugs in its pipeline. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> that, uh, that would be a bold move for Intuit as well, though I could see the quick brand uh, being a popular one uh, in the drug space, though maybe Nestle would have something to say about that as well. Simon Erickson, your thoughts here. Uh, Dan, I think that you and Steve and Matt together nailed it. It's exactly what I would like to echo, which is that AI is so important for this company. Uh, and when we say that, it's Intuit can actually make this happen because they really have all the information about you. Uh, TurboTax, year after year, you know, Im import your, your tax return from last year. QuickBooks, import your, your income statement and your financial statements from last year. And now you've got email, which is, you know, import your email list and your open rates and all the things that people are doing email things are interested in. And Intuit has done such a, a fantastic job, not only it, it kind of the continuity of that information, right? You pay for this year for TurboTax versus last year and everything just kind of lines up and makes it easy for you. But if you can use AI on that, that's a that's a huge ROI for, for any business or any individual that's using this as well. And I think that, that Intuit has done a fantastic job. Matt touched on this a little bit, but kind of the subscription model has moved digitally, right? You used to get the TurboTax CD-ROMs. You put them in, you'd install on your computer, and then you do it every year. Now it's just seamless. It just happens online. There's more and more information in the cloud for Intuit. They've done fantastic with that. And I think one of the reasons that the stock has done so well is it's more profitable that way. Look at the operating margins of Intuit. They're fantastic. And I think that um, the MailChimp acquisition is going to be even better for them. Matt still uses a CD-ROM. <laughs> so no, what I love about this is they have a sticky, sticky product. Because here's the reality. If you've used TurboTax year after year, are you really going to export your taxes to go to something else that's $70 cheaper? You're just not going to do that. I like, And the same thing with QuickBooks. Like, yes, you could go to another platform, but with AI, they have your taxes. They, in a lot of cases, have your payroll information. Their ability to 
uh, disrupt the mortgage business, even if they don't become a lender. Or we've talked a lot about buy now, pay later. There is no company out there that isn't a credit bureau that could be a better gauge of credit worthiness than Intuit. Now, they might be doing some of that. They might be powering. They might be selling some of that data on an aggregate basis. But their optionality in their business is very, very strong. We're going to get to some of your questions soon. But Matt, I want to throw back to you here. My only question here uh, on this one is email a declining service in the era of, of, of Slack and social media and all. My son doesn't use email. Like every now and then he has to get an email and he'll like ask me for his password. It's like, well, you know, you really need to have an active email account. And the reality is he actually doesn't. Matt. I think I would say email is an enduring service. Uh, I don't think it's going to go away. I think it's it's going to be a fixture. Like, look, there's a lot of social media platforms out there, but you've seen businesses complain all the time or influencers and things like that. Like when, when one of these like companies changes its algorithm a little bit or or wants to emphasize like more positive interactions or whatever, and they tweak their algorithms and then all of a sudden they don't get, you know, they get half the engagement they used to or they get deplatformed or or who knows. I mean, there's just there's like a million when you're if you build a business on top of a social media platform, you're you're really putting your your fate in their hands. And a way to like take that control back is is email. You get a customer's email, you have a direct line to them. Uh look, uh you know, uh, my son has an email address, you know, I, I just I don't think email is going away. That uh, yeah, no, I I tend to believe that. I do think it is a little bit more of an older person's game, but if you use QuickBooks, you are likely a small business. Integrate Every small business has an email list and probably also post to social media. Being able to do that from one platform is very valuable. Simon, do we use QuickBooks? I hate to put you on the spot there, but... I've used QuickBooks personally and also for business purposes for more than a decade. Probably, probably do two decades now, actually, Dan. Uh, you, it's just a sticky platform. I use TurboTax for a long time too. And uh, MailChimp, you know, obviously if you're doing content marketing or, you know, you, like like Matt just said, email is a much more in-depth engagement with, with your audience than something like a social media platform would be. And there's a lot of information, a lot of data that you can mine from that. So I I, I don't think it's going away either. I think that maybe it's it's less used um, than, than kind of the Twitters and the, and the Facebooks of the world are today by younger audiences, but I think it's actually a, probably a pretty fitting acquisition for Intuit. I have one last question. I'll let anybody weigh in. We're gonna After that, we're going to take Wes Van Tan's uh, question and feel free to get your questions and comments in. We'll take them periodically throughout the show. We also know it's a Friday and it's hard to type and people are tired. Uh, so we are more than happy to just have you watching along at home. But I'll let Matt answer this first. But why are Microsoft and Google not doing a MailChimp-like product? It feels like you're on their platforms. You're probably writing your stuff in Gmail. Why is there not an easy integration for business use there? Matt, sorry to put you on the spot, but it was in the script, so you could see it earlier. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a great question. Uh, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a good answer for that. I, I would say like they, they have both like uh, Google especially. They do not have the best... They are not inherently an enterprise uh, company, and they they have a hard time reaching enterprise customers. They're doing a much better job with that with their Google Cloud products, but everything is very consumer oriented. Microsoft, that's a great question. Uh, you know, uh, the, their email platform, they, they have Microsoft Teams, like they should have. Could they do have Microsoft Dynamics, which is a customer relationship management platform, competes a lot with Salesforce. I'm not sure if they have specific email uh, solutions within that. They probably do. But is it as uh, 
is it as ingrained as MailChimp with small businesses? Uh, probably not even close. So, uh, but I don't have a better answer for that. We have two great questions in the queue here, but our producer, JT Street, lost power. So we don't actually have the ability to share those questions. So I will read uh, West Ben's question. Uh, Hello, Seven Investing. Ben from Malaysia. Ah, it gives me a, a warm feeling every time to know we're helping people all around the world. Uh, I would like to ask, what is the long-term implication of the rise of buy now, pay later uh, on Visa and MasterCard? Will BNPL grow into the runway for Visa and MasterCard? Simon, uh, you can go first, and then Matt, I'll let you uh, take a swing at this. Steve, Max, feel free if you want to jump in after. Simon. Oh, gosh. Okay, so Matt, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer the part about Visa and MasterCard to you because really that's, that's your backyard, and I'll let you handle that part of the question. But buy now, pay later, in my opinion, is more than just an alternative way to pay. Like a lot of people are just saying, oh, it's just an installment plan. We've had those around for decades. You know, even department stores had, had installment plans. In reality, this is about algorithms. Buy now, pay later. The reason it's so appealing is because you're getting more information about people and what they're buying and who's creditworthy and who's not and what's the right term you should give them and what's the right interest rate you should give them. All of this factors into the algorithms that go into buy now, pay later. That's why you see uh, Max Levchin. Is, is who originally just wanted to be a, a financier of a firm, now actually comes in and takes the CEO role because he knows that world from PayPal, right? He's the one that can go out there to Peloton and to Expedia and to all the other partners, uh, especially the partnership with Shopify, the vendors on Shopify and say, hey, I can get you more business because people that sign up for my buy now, pay later app, I can say, hey, we see that you're really into exercise. Do you want a Peloton bike? Hey, we see you're really, really into travel. Do you want to do installments on the next time that you book a flight? We'll use Expedia. That's a lift in sales for retailers that partner with them. And then on the other side of that, Dan, too, is the interest rates, right? Who should you be making loans to? Are you making bad loans with people who aren't going to be able to, to pay it back? I mean, you don't want to have delinquency if you're holding that on your balance sheet. And so Levchin, again, at PayPal, who started a firm, and that's the company I'm the most familiar with in the space, there's a huge component to this that is... Make sure you're not just going out and giving these installments to everybody. Uh, find the outliers that you don't want to make loans to, which are the people who really shouldn't be taking out credit or paying installments in the first place. And this is actually a rare example of something in the financial space that's not just good for the companies. Because if you're Peloton, you're getting your money. If you're a firm, you're making a really sound loan. But if you're a consumer, you are in almost every case paying a much lower interest rate. I think travel is the area this is going to be massive. Because we don't have like the old Christmas club where you put a little money aside every year to then splurge on Christmas gifts. If you can book a cruise or a Disney vacation or whatever it might be and pay, you know, maybe it's two years from now and you're paying $42 a month, that makes things attainable in a way that people aren't good at planning. Matt, why don't you weigh in a little bit on Visa and MasterCard here? Well, I agree with Simon. I mean, like, I think buy now, pay later is going to be big. It is big. Um, that being said, like it's still like a, a tiny, tiny percentage of the overall total payment volume that goes across all the rails everywhere. Um, and a lot of times it's funded with like a, a MasterCard or Visa debit card or credit card. Um, sometimes it is funded with like a an ACH, which is an automatic, uh, automatic uh, clearinghouse like a uh, rail from your bank, which is like a, a different type of debit rail. So sometimes like MasterCard and Visa are cut out of these transactions, but a lot of times they're not. And when they are part of the transaction, so you're actually using MasterCard and Visa's rails like four times instead of once. So they actually get more money from some of these transactions than they would have if somebody had just paid uh, like with a MasterCard or Visa credit card or debit card just once. So I, I think net net it's going to have 
a little effect on Visa or MasterCard overall. It could actually be good for Visa and MasterCard in the long run because of that uh, dynamic where you're using their rails more than once. Um, but I, I think that would be small too. It might be a small negative. I, I think net-net, it's, it's going to be very uh, insignificant to Visa or MasterCard's total payment volumes. Amazon offered me six month buy now pay later terms on a t-shirt. Uh, it was an expensive t-shirt. It was like $24. Like, so, you know, but I went, you know what? I can buy the t-shirt all at once. Uh, so we're going to take Max Lucas's question. I believe JT street is back. So JT, if you can bring that one up, we would appreciate it and feel free to ask us questions and comments. Maybe JT is not fully back up. Max says the company, uh, upstart says it gets more than 50% of its, uh, of its revenue from Credit Karma. Uh, is UPST the next target for Intuit or will they create a competing product? Uh, I would tend to lean towards competing product. Uh, Simon, Steve, anybody have a thought here? I don't think Intuit will uh, acquire Upstart. I, yes, I agree with you, Dan. Like, uh, it, it would be much easier for them to make a competing product. Um, it's going to be a long time, probably like through a credit cycle, whether we see like, which one of these like credit originators is actually like better if they actually do have better algorithms than traditional algorithms. And until that time, it, it's really, it's, it's hard to say who's, who's better or who's not. I could see Intuit making a small acquisition for some of the, the things they don't do, but they actually, I talked about this at the top of the show. They really have the ability to make these loans and know like they could look and be like, well, what were Simon's taxes and income and all these different points? What's his savings goal? Like there is a lot of voluntary information you give them that, th that you can opt in or not opt in as to whether they like offer you loan products or offer you savings or, or investing or whatever it might be. Again, sneaky big company because they don't brand everything as Intuit. Like they have a lot of things like Credit Karma doesn't really tie itself uh, to Intuit. There's probably some, some more integration to come there. That deal is relatively new, uh, but we're going to move on momentarily. We're going to talk about the new iPhones. Uh, and I am very excited for absolutely no reason about the new iPhones. But before we do that, I want to talk about something we did earlier today, something that only seven in investing members get to do. And that is our monthly subscriber call. So Simon, why don't you explain what the difference is between Seven Investing Now, our public-facing, everyone-can-see-it show, and our members call? Because the members get something special. I bake cookies, but nobody came over to get them. But other, they also get a very special program. The, the spelling and the pronunciation are different, Dan, right? Seven Investing Now is very <laughs> different than subscriber call, right? <laughs> Uh, no, we, every every month we, we found it very useful to to kind of give everyone a chance to talk about our recommendations with us. You know, rather than just write the reports and then we disappear into the ethos, we say, hey, investing is a long term journey. Uh, this is very personal. You know, every every pick is probably not the right fit for everybody. But also people might have questions after reading the reports of saying, hey, Dan, can you explain this part to me? Or, hey, Matt, what do you think about the competitive activity with this one? Or, you know, anything else that they didn't just necessarily get right out of reading the report. And so we really like to have an interactive kind of back and forth discussion about any of our previous recommendations uh, directly with the team. This is something that's very different about 7investing is that we actually give that opportunity for all subscribers every single month to jump in and say, hey, I'd like to ask about this month's recommendations. I'd like to ask you about something that was recommended a year ago, whatever it might be. Um, it's a lot of fun, Dan. We're, we're all highly caffeinated when we do that. 
pretty fast paced. Well, I always have a good time. It's very nice for us to be able to do something where our guard is down because when we're doing seven investing now, and obviously I love doing this show and so many of you are watching or, or listening to it later, but we don't talk about our recommendations. So this is an opportunity for someone who read 3000 words that I wrote or, or any of us wrote, or maybe watch the, the deep dive video that we give members where, which is a PowerPoint presentation to the whole team where you see, okay, those were Max's objections to, to Dan's pick that these are Simon's questions. And they might ask, geez, did Dan change your mind? Do you, are you less concerned about this now? Or maybe something happened. My, my pick this month, the day I picked it, something happened and I wrote about it right away, but it was really nice to be able to talk to members about it. So if you are not a member, what are you waiting for? Go to seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. And for $49 a month, or $399 a year, that is a two plus month savings, you will get access to our seven highest conviction stock picks every month. This is not easy. We have to go through the entire world of stocks and pick our one highest conviction. So that means you're getting seven very different people with very different areas of expertise, very different uh, life situations. Uh, I have one kid, uh, much of the team does, Max doesn't, Dana, you know, we're all in, Dana owns a business, we're all in different places, you know, Dana has a PhD, Max has a master's, I do not by any, you know, so, but I, but I worked in retail and I bought commodities and, and Simon has, has an MBA and, and Steve is a dog. No, that was, sorry, Steve. Don't sell yourself short though. I mean, you've got some incredible, you know, boots on the ground operational experience for the retail sector that you cover as well. in trying to be a little silly, and, and you've all heard me say this, and I always get a little mushy on this whole team call, and obviously Nirbhan and, uh, and Dana are not here, but the wealth of experience we bring from different angles and how much we all make each other better is something I've never been part of before. And I've worked lots of wonderful places, but the fact that there's so much support on our team and with our audience, and I appreciate that as well, that if Matt has a question for me, I take it as an intellectual curiosity question, not like an affront to what I'm saying. And you learn from that. My pick a few months ago came out of conversations with Matt. Like, you know, Simon, you mentioned we live close to each other. Yeah, we actually see each other physically, which I know is is not normal. Now, if you're a member, uh, one of the members on our call messaged me and said, hey, I'm in town this weekend. Want to grab coffee? Yeah, he's a good guy. I'm going to grab coffee with him. So like we are that type of service and we're like the way we are interacting here is the way we are in real life. Uh, But that being said, we're going to get back to the program, to your questions, to your comments. Uh, We're going to talk about the new iPhone. So Apple came out with the iPhone 13. There were a lot of questions whether they were going to go with like the X3 or just skip to 14. I like the boldness of Apple realizing how silly it is when a building goes from 12 to 14. So if you're on 14, you're not dumb. You know you're on 13. So this is the iPhone 13 uh, and it's coming out in a variety of versions. Uh, There's a mini, there's a pro, there's a max. Here are the big differences. Uh, And I'm underwhelmed, but I, as I said earlier, I've been trying to order it all day. Uh, It is a new battery. It's a physically bigger battery. And they're saying an hour and a half of extra battery life. I'm wary of that because Steve, do you ever remember an Apple press event where they didn't say an extra hour and a half of battery life yet? We've never actually experienced an extra hour and a half of battery life. I don't know. It's no. And it's funny because uh, I would have been more intrigued had they said, you know, this isn't just a physically larger battery, but it's a more efficient battery. That's the same size and gives you an hour and a half more. Um, So many of these things seem like just kind of modest incremental improvements. 
Um, I, I think we get kind of a collective shrug, but the one thing that maybe throws uh, a wrench in that shrug and maybe does spur some some sales of the de these devices are the deals that people are getting from their carriers uh, for like trade-ins. So some pretty, and I, I think that's a function of the fact that the, this is kind of a modest incremental upgrade. Um, so that, that might make it interesting, but I don't know, the battery thing is... I, I've heard a lot of people refer to this as the 12 SE. Karen, I promise if you stick around, we will get to your question. Um, Matt, you're you're a, a fan here, and I'm actually curious to hear Max's opinion too, but let's get to Matt first. Did anything excite you here? Like, did, is there a part of you that wants to run out and get this? No, I'm actually, I'm actually not an Apple fan. Like, I have an Android phone. Uh, I'm not familiar with the OS ecosystem. My kids love it. My kids are iPhone users, but like, uh, no, I'm not actually a, I don't have too much to add here. So the pricing has stayed the same and they've actually upped the minimum memory. There's no more 64 gigabyte uh, version of this. Simon, I'm actually surprised that they didn't raise prices because is is this Apple admitting that maybe there's a ceiling on prices? Because uh, I don't think there is. I'm not sure the difference between 1100 and 1300 matters all that much, especially when, while they don't call it a contract, Everybody is buying this on an installment plan, or the vast majority of people are buying this on an installment plan. So true, Dan. I mean, like, if you look at it, you know, so we, we see the consumer side of it, right? Of like, what's the price point that we pay for the most cutting edge iPhone? But behind the scenes, there's a lot going on in the semiconductor industry right now. Apple wants to have the most cutting edge chips in its phones that can handle the most processes and applications so that when you've got 17 apps open, you can handle all of them at the same time, in addition to the radios and the cell signal and everything else like that. But behind the scenes, chip prices are going up significantly, and Apple is definitely going to be experiencing those. Uh, we see a semiconductor supply shortage, and a lot of the manufacturers of chips are increasing prices right now. And Apple, even as large as Apple is, is not going to be immune from those. So it's curious, Dan, to your point, to see if they're not increasing prices, um, Apple's eating those margins and just saying, hey, we might be tapped out on how much we can charge people for the iPhones. It's also important that the goal of Apple, and they've always made money on hardware, but their focus on services uh, in recent years has grown exponentially. And their service sector has grown by double digits. I think it's for four or five quarters in a row. I didn't, didn't quite look that up. Max, let me throw this out to you because I am pretty sure you are using a cricket or, or, or some form of like phone. Like, like you might even have a rotary dial on your phone. I'm pretty sure you're not an, an early adopter. What does it take to get you to get a new phone? And are you like when you look at something like this, are, are you excited about it or is it just very ho-hum? Yeah, I use smoke signals to uh, text all my friends. It works pretty well. <laughs> There's some delay, you know, but no, I, uh, I'm actually like, man, I, I use an Android phone. I was actually thinking about switching to the iPhone because uh, I'm very pro privacy. And then they came out with that decision recently. I know they delayed it, but uh, where they might be scanning phones for different information. Obviously, that doesn't affect me, but yeah, that, that's a little bit too much for me. So uh, privacy was something that was enough to overcome the switching cost for me to maybe try out a different ecosystem. But after that decision, I'm just going to stick with with uh, my Google Android phone. I do use the budget phones. I, I, I refuse to pay hundreds of dollars or, or like $1,000 for a new phone. I run my phone to the ground. I don't really use my phone very much. I don't have any things on there. I don't have games or I don't have social media on my phone. Uh, so I kind of use it like a phone. I know that's weird for a millennial <laughs> to say, but uh, that's how I approach it. 
I, I use my phone like a pocket computer. I wanted to get Wes Ben's comment in, and then we're going to go to one final comment uh, from the team before we move on topics here. Uh, so JT, if you could bring up Wes Ben's comment. Uh, Seven Investing, I am an Apple fan, but I'm still an iPhone 8 because it already is a very powerful smartphone for most applications, and it still works perfectly. Yeah, I'll talk about it. And I'm generally a pretty frugal guy, but I upgrade my phone every year, and I either return the old one so it's not actually as expensive as it seems, or... I cycle it down to the rest of the family. So my son had the original iPhone SE and he got like my iPhone 10. Like, so there are ways to do this. And I agree. The iPhone eight is an incredibly powerful phone. I mean, you know, we, we all remember, maybe not max as much, but we all remember when like your phone was barely even a phone. Like it wasn't great at calling and text messaging wasn't a thing. And I remember my dad had like a phone in like a briefcase that only worked in like three places. Uh, so this world has gone very, very quick. Look, I write stories on my phone. Uh, I watch movies on my phone and, and, you know, it, Max, you mentioned you don't play games. I play uh, backgammon and solitaire, and I know that ages me. But you know, like you know, I'm not playing like Call of Duty on my phone, though. I suppose you could. So again, this is it's a pretty ho hum product announcement from Apple. The the phone's an incremental upgrade. The uh, new iWatch has a bigger screen, but it doesn't have any groundbreaking uh, technology. And I think Max has actually explained the reason for that: that it is not simple to go from something like. I can tell you your heart rate, which is just interesting and not necessarily that useful to I'm giving you your blood pressure. That makes it a medical device. And that is a layer of regulation that I'm guessing this Apple Watch can do that. But there is a level that they have to get to to be able to practically do that. Matt, uh, anybody else have any thoughts they want to weigh in here on the iPhone before we move on to our final topic? I mean, just something interesting is kind of what, what are you paying for in your phone, right? This was something that, that Steve and I and several of others on the team looked at the most important, or the, not, not the most important necessarily, but the most expensive components of high-end phones. And that goes not just for Apple, but for Samsung and everything else. A lot of it is for the cellular radios, so you can connect to 4G, 5G, whatever you're connecting for. Uh, the screens themselves are now using organic light-emating diodes. OLED screens are very expensive. And there's a handful of other components of the majority of the cost of these phones. And so it's kind of interesting when you see the announcements about, you know, what's what's the most the sexiest thing in the industry in cell phones? Oh, it's 5G. It, it's because there's a lot of money that's kind of going into those things. Um, it's just kind of interesting as an investor to see for the form factor that we all have embraced. Mobile devices are everywhere now. Who's actually making the margins and can keep those margins for the big manufacturers like Apple and Samsung out there? And we're also seeing 5B being sort of a an increasingly strong benefit. So when, when I got the latest iPhone, uh, latest for another two weeks, but when I got it, uh, there was 5G in one parking lot here in West Palm Beach. And to test it, I drove to that parking lot and like watched Netflix and it was amazing, but it wasn't practical to every time I want to watch a movie on my phone, drive to the public's parking lot. Like that that's inefficient. So now more and more places, I'm seeing 5G. And I don't mean the sort of pretend 5G, I mean the meaningful, you're actually faster uh, 5G. We've got a comment here from Gregory Spira uh, that I will let Steve weigh in on. Uh, and he says, if you missed the subscriber call, that is the call we did earlier today, just for members, when will it be posted on the site? Uh, Steve, you know the answer to that. So I'll throw yeah. it to you. Yeah. Uh, and for anyone who is unfamiliar, our subscriber calls are always held on the third Friday of every month, which is today. And uh, we post the recordings to the site the Friday after on the video section of our research page. So, or the Monday after rather. So uh, Monday we'll have it. We just have to get the uh, 
the transcript and recording and all that stuff process. So yes, it'll be there Monday. And even though we know she's no longer listening, we promised Karen we would answer her question and she has promised to listen to it later. So we will go on that faith. Uh, I'm gonna let Simon weigh in first. And Simon, why don't you read the question? Uh, Because it is a lot of words. Yeah, Karen, thank you for the question here. She says, dementia care businesses are in every aspect. Uh, they They need big time positive disruption. One and two Americans get dementia over 85. I'd love to invest in innovation uh, in healthcare for cognitive decline. I mean, this is, I don't think that, that the, the advisors on this call are the best to answer this, Karen, but I would recommend looking at our colleague, uh, Dana Abramovitz's recommendations and also the content that she writes a lot about these topics. She has agreed with exactly what you said, that mental health and cognitive decline are really, really important healthcare topics, uh, that she is not only looking for companies that, financially benefit from those trends. But in healthcare, it, it's it's more than it's a lot more than that. It, it's kind of improving society and and you know people's lives. And she takes that very seriously in her recommendations, including her recommendation this month, I will say Dana's pick, when we talked about it as a as a team for the team call here recently, uh, she pointed out this is something that needs to be addressed. And I think that kind of gets to the, the the spirit of your question there as well, Karen. I want Max's perspective here, but I'll just throw out very quickly Before I started doing this show, I had no idea the level of innovation that was going on and the amount of high-level thought that was going into things like dementia and other areas where, Max, is it fair to say, like, we could make some pretty big leaps in these areas in the next, maybe not six months, but maybe 10 years, 15 years, like, in a manageable amount of time. Is that reasonable? Yeah, I mean, we're making a lot of advances in medicine, a lot of exciting things going on in genetic medicines, which tend to have a lot fewer side effects. We can target them to DNA or RNA, and uh, we seem to be getting some really, really good results there. It's going to take some time uh, to deliver these medicines to uh, the tissues that matter for some of these uh, you know, cognitive disabilities like dementia, right? We need to get that medicine into the brain, which isn't very easy to do. Uh, but yeah, we should you know, start to see more medicines that maybe help to manage symptoms better. Uh, maybe slow the cognitive decline. That's when I kind of the holy grails. Uh, maybe even one day kind of prevent dementia. Maybe we'll have more of an understanding, but it's a very complex disease and it's it's hard to really get uh, a good read on because it takes place over many decades, right? Um, I mean, we have no idea. We might be starting uh, to form, you know, uh, certainly dementia-related diseases in our 30s and 40s, and we might not pick up on it until, you know, your sixth, seventh, or eighth decade of life. So uh, it's very hard to kind of... Uh, uh, really, you know, get an accurate understanding of the disease pathology. But uh, for sure, we're, we're making some good advances. And uh, I thought I'd be not the only one on the screen by now, but I'll just keep talking <laughs> to myself. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you have to be optimistic for sure. Maybe by the end of the decade, we'll have some really interesting stuff going on. We're going to move on to the home stretch here. This is something I shared out on Twitter that got an astounding amount of uh, response. So we're going to share some of yours. But uh My question here was, what's the stock you own that brings you the most joy as a customer? So not from owning the stock, not like, gee, I'm really proud that I own this. But so for me, and we're going to go around the room, uh, for me, it's a toss up. Everyone thought online that I would say Starbucks and Starbucks does bring me tiny bits of joy every day. Like not every day, but like four or five days a week. I think that's fair to say. But Disney has recently brought me so much joy with like, you know, the release of uh, the different superhero shows. I would so look forward to those Fridays and watching, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier or WandaVision or whatever it might be. And then the third one to throw out there is Royal Caribbean. I just got off a cruise and I'm not a great relaxer. So getting to spend, you know, three or four days, you know, with people and, you know, working from the cafe or from whatever random island, 
Uh, so I actually think it's important. Not every company that brings you joy is a good stock to own. Like you might really love, you know, I don't know, Burger King, and you might look into RBI, the parent company, and go, I don't really want to own that. That's okay. Uh, but let me throw it to Simon and Max. I know this is going to be a tough one for you, but Simon, you can go first. Oh, God, I got to go with Chipotle, Dan. I, I love <laughs> Chipotle. Every time I get Chipotle, I'm in a good mood for the rest of the day. So that's my pick. I, I'll go with Chipotle. I think it is fair to say. Uh, Steve Symington, I, I, don't, I haven't been following this whole conversation. Your cat slept in your face last night. Is there? <laughs> my mind tends to do that as well. And she's been crying outside my door while, I'm, while we're taping this. Or yeah, doing I'm this actually live. making fun of me for sniffling a little today, but I had one like right here last night. I was like, I love you, but my God, <laughs> get off of me. Steve, uh, what no, is the uh, stock you own that brings you joy? Pet hair. Uh, I robot, actually. Um, I would, I'd say right there, we've got their little mopping, the Brava and a couple of Roombas. And I'm just such a robotics nerd anyway, that it's so much fun to like, I haven't cleaned our floors. Like, you know, unless you like pour grease on the floor and you need to give it like a spot clean or something, it's fantastic. Hardwood carpet, everything. I just want one that will do my stairs now. The, the new Roomba, and I have I, I also have a Roomba and at, at Steve's recommendation and love it. Uh, it is so much better than the previous ones. But their, I guess you'd call it AI. I'm not, not sure if that's the term, but their ability to learn things. And I apologize for being a tiny bit graphic here, but they can now know that there is pet waste on the floor and not get that caught in its rotors, which creates a very big mess. That sounds like it's no big deal. That's a giant deal. That is a level of AI robotics that's very practical in people's lives. Like, it's cool we might go to Mars in 30 years, but it's cooler that I could come home and if my cat threw up, it's not going to be smeared all around my house. And I, yeah. I know it sounds a little silly, but just the fact that it doesn't fall down the stairs or get stuck in the bathroom anymore. Mine used to close itself into the bathroom by closing the door, and then I'd have the world's cleanest eight-foot bathroom. It doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> this is a robot that learns, a company that, look, I came home today and in my mail was a new bag for my self-emptying thing. I don't have to order it. It knows when my, my bag is full. And it sent me a, a few weeks ago, a, like a little part, like a filter. This is a really smart company. Matt Cochran, what company brings you joy? Uh, well, two things. First, we Ben Tan knows what's up with his comment on Facebook. Second, Amazon. <laughs> I hate going to the store. I don't want to go to the store ever. So like if you can deliver packages to my door for everything I need and I don't have to leave the house, that wins. So Amazon. Yeah, Max, uh, Matt, you actually haven't been ordering from Amazon. We've just been delivering packages to your door. So no, just kidding. Max Chasco, you cover a space that might be a little more difficult because if something gives you joy, it's probably because something bad happened. But uh, which one would you pick here? Yeah, um, so I think this is my unique portfolio preferences. I, I invest almost exclusively in drug developers some picks and shovels plays within uh, biotech, helping those companies and enterprise software companies uh, and maybe a couple electric utilities. So I'm not really a customer of any of my companies per se. And if I was, that would, would not be a good thing. I mean, I have some disease. So uh, hopefully <laughs> I, I don't have to be a customer. Um, so I don't know, but I do agree with the general, um, you know, uh, that, you say this all the time, Dan, you know, uh, invest in companies that, uh, you know, you use as a customer. I think you, you said you told your son when he was starting to invest, like pick some companies you use all the time and start there, you know, and, and I think that's great advice for anyone who's uh, trying to get started in investing. 
I will say uh, there are some Dana Abramovitz picks or stocks she's talked about that I'd feel a lot of joy at being a customer if, if those were areas. Um, and there's a Simon pick recently that I'm not a customer of, but if I had been, I think I'd be very, very happy for that. So there is a lot here. And look, I, I know investors that invest in companies they believe are going to make money and then take that money and use it to support what it, whatever they like. I like to feel good about the companies I own. I'm not consistent about that in any way. We're going to share some of your comments and we're just going to make a little quick comment on them. So raise your hand, uh, you know, throw out, I'll throw it to people when I can. Uh, Ken Ernie, a friend of the family, a part of the family really, uh, says in the in the most joy as a customer category, Apple, all their products good are, are as good as the stock gain. Uh, yeah, I, I am a, a diehard Apple person. Matt, uh, Simon, anybody want to weigh in on this one? No one does. But yeah, this is an obvious one. This is a, you know, Apple is foundational products. I'm doing this on a Mac. I, I have an iPhone. I'm not wearing an Apple Watch, but I own an Apple Watch. Uh, Neeraj Kapoor, if you want to share that one, JT, says Square and DocuSign. I use both services and it just makes it such a smooth experience compared to legacy forms of transaction slash document signing. Matt Cochran, these are two companies you care a lot about. Uh, do you think of Square and DocuSign as bringing joy? Uh, well, I'm not a merchant, but if I was, I, I can imagine like Square, like you're a small merchant. You used to need a landline, expensive hardware to take credit card payments. Um, and people spend more with credit cards like that. That's been proven in several studies. And now you can like buy a dongle online or go to Best Buy, buy a smart dongle, plug it in and I'll be onboarded within a within a few minutes and, and start taking credit and debit cards for payments. So I, I can imagine like, yes, that would make it uh, that you would love that product as a merchant. Yeah, I, I actually think, and Steve, I'll let you weigh in in a second. As a customer, I hate signing my name. My handwriting is atrocious. When someone sends me a DocuSign, it is such a joyous thing because it's like, wait, I don't have to like go through 80 pages of my lease and like initial and sign. I can just, because we don't read those documents. I think we nobody, when they get a mortgage, reads through it. Like you just sort of take it at the word. Uh, Steve, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I love DocuSign so much uh, for that. But but man, Square is is kind of incredible for their they're enabling all these small businesses and little merchants to like accept payments. And like for me, you know, I live in Missoula, Montana, right? And we have an epic farmers market. It takes up several blocks. They close downtown, and and uh, and it used to be kind of a pain in the butt because you'd be like, oh, where's the ATM? Nobody takes. You know, everyone's only cash. But now everybody's got a Square reader, and you can go down there with your card and, and uh, fantastic. But the world they've enabled and continue to expand upon this is amazing. So I think that was a, that was a fantastic answer, Square and DocuSign. Max, a little bit of a trivia question I'll throw your way. Where is the USA Today number one rated farmer's market? Where would you think that might be? <sighs> Boise, Idaho. It would not be Boise, Idaho, and it would not be Missoula, Montana. It would be right here in West Palm Beach, Florida, uh, where ours is seasonal because there's three months out of the year where our temperature is surface of the sun and you <laughs> couldn't sell something. Like like we have a really great uh, fishmonger or fish merchant. I'm not sure if fishmonger is a term they still use, but a, a place that sells fresh fish. You cannot buy fresh fish in July in Florida at a farmer's market and then walk it home. And hot coffee does not sell particularly well, which is a big component of of our farmers market for the pandemic they did discontinue all you could drink uh uh mimosas that that used to be a thing that is a pandemic sacrifice right now we got a few more of these we we, we got hundreds of them but we're only going to do a few more here 
Tall Seller says, I really enjoy supporting independent brands and local business uh, by buying directly off their own websites. And I get even more enjoyment from such when they use Shopify's uh, pay one click checkout, where I can then trace those orders in Shopify's shop app. Oh, I echo this so much. I am so happy when Shopify is there. Simon, have you had some experiences? I think Shopify does a really good job of showing you when an order is coming. And I think that's important because a lot of the merchants aren't offering two-day shipping. So if I buy some like you know, obscure coffee from a vendor I've never heard of. It is very comforting when I could say, okay, it shipped. It's not going to be here for 10 days, but it shipped and here's where it's moving. Your thoughts here. Uh, ultimate, ultimate customer focused company, right? Visionary leader makes it super easy to set up, gets a lot of attention on your brands and then makes it easy for people to pay and whether they want to. I mean, Shopify is a really, really good company. I want to get to just a few more of these. Uh, Mabel says, uh, probably Nike and Starbucks, but I love all my holdings. I'm one proud shareholder. Yeah, I follow Mabel on Twitter, and you really do get that from her. I agree. I don't even think there's that much we can we can say on this one, but Nike is a lifestyle brand, and you sort of feel good about it for, for the most part. Um, let's get to just a couple more. Uh, we've got a lot saying Amazon, so we'll skip the next one. But Sammy Sosa, who I don't think is the Sammy Sosa based on his his picture, uh, says, Tesla, no question. Commuting in the 21 uh, Model 3 long range is one of the best parts of my day. Anybody want to weigh in for Nirbon, who is not here, but is our our resident drives a Tesla uh, evangelist? Matt, you want to you yeah. share what a Nirbon? Max, go ahead. Yeah, Nirvan says once you own and drive a Tesla, you'll never drive any other car. And you think every other car is stupid. And I've heard that from a number of Tesla owners, actually. So I've never actually driven a Tesla. Uh, I imagine I'll have an electric vehicle one day, but uh, pretty interesting. You know, it's obviously anecdotal evidence, but uh, you do see that quite a bit among Tesla owners. We will throw out uh, Ben. Ben Unsworth says Disney and McDonald's. There actually used to be McDonald's in Disney. Uh, that is no longer a thing, of course. There are Starbucks at every uh, Walt Disney location uh, and and multiple in some of them. Last one here. We'll put up Peter Zumans uh, and we'll let uh, uh, maybe Matt can talk about this one. Spotify and Netflix. I'll push back a little bit uh, in that with Spotify, maybe I'm wrong. But I don't see a big difference between any of the various podcast players. Like, I'm not a big playlist guy, so maybe, but I'm searching for the podcast I want, and I'm listening to it. I'm searching for the albums I want, and I'm listening to them. So, again, I don't want to take away the joy here. Matt, your thoughts on this one? Uh, well, yeah, I kind of agree with you about Spotify. I'll say this about Netflix. Like, if you, uh, how they transformed the, the entertainment and movie watching and TV show watching industry is amazing. Like, I remember Blockbuster, man. I We could... We could do a whole show on Blockbuster <laughs> and how much I hated those stores and and hated they they were just almost pure evil. But um, like uh, it, but now there's a lot of competing services, so it's not like an exclusive joy anymore. I mean, you can stream at a lot of places. Uh, so I don't know if it's still has that special like place in my heart. But for years, Netflix was like uh, just like uh, compared to the experience you'd get at Blockbuster, like just night and day. So Netflix will always have a special place in my heart just for that. Matt, are you recommending I sell my Blockbuster stock? I haven't checked on that in a while. Is it, is it not performing well? Yeah. Long-term buy and hold. If, uh, if anyone wants to see, there was a John Oliver bit a couple years ago about the last two remaining Blockbusters. And whether you like her show or his show or not, it was really, really funny that there were just a couple of places where Blockbuster was holding on uh, you know, and doing everything they possibly could. But all I'll say is uh, be kind, 
rewind. Uh, we're going to get to our finisher uh, in a minute or two here. But uh, Steve Simonton, I thought you might want to close with Max Lucas's comment. Uh, JT, if you want to bring that one up, Steve, you can read it to the to the audience sure. here. Uh, Max says he's asked a lot of coworkers that have Roombas how good they are. And the answer always seems to be pretty good, gets stuck, doesn't get everything, keeps him from buying just yet. I would ask them what model they have because the newest iterations are at least an order of magnitude better uh, as far as how smart they are, their mapping, their suction, their ability to empty themselves. It's incredible. Uh, so yeah, uh, I would say, um, you know, the newer iteration and uh, they've got iRobot Select now, so you don't have to just buy the whole robot. You can pay twenty nine bucks a month. Fantastic! You'd think this is a commercial for them. I'd love my. <laughs> are they are the so newer much. ones quieter, Steve? The no. new one is like well, I've got like yeah, I've got a nine eighty behind me here, and it's twice as loud as the uh, the i seven. I think that they sent me through iRobot. That's Select. that's my biggest issue. Is they're so loud. Like yeah. I'll vacuum and get it over with. And the newest one has a quiet mode. I actually noticed that it applied to my i7 too. It was really weird where it turns off the vacuum when it's not actively, when it's traveling from room to room, which is awesome. So then it's only loud where it's, I'm like, you guys are bravo. But anyway. Yeah, I I actually sort of echo Stephen this. It's very loud, and we have we both have the one that automatically empties. That is the loudest noise you've ever heard. So <laughs> I actually that's like a plane taking off. <laughs> mine actually runs on Tuesday and Thursday when we are not doing Seven Investing now because I can yeah. hear it from my studio here. We are going to move to our finisher. This ties back to something we talked about earlier in the show. Uh, JT Street, uh, welcome back from your brief power outage. Uh, will you buy the new iPhone 13? 7.5% said right away. 17.8% uh, said eventually. 37.4% said if my phone dies. 37.4% said never. Obviously, if you're not an Apple user, I don't think there's anything here that's going to sway you. But uh, let me go around the room and ask the question. We'll start with Steve. How often do you update your phone, assuming you don't drop it in the ocean or or have something, you know, the screen break or whatever it is? Steve, how often do you upgrade your phone? Um, I it's like every few years for me. You know, my my phone's fine, and uh, it, it's like every three or four years. Just when it becomes slow and it, you know, it's it's consistently full because all the new apps are massive. Like I'm not a needs the latest phone kind of guy. Simon Erickson, same question there. I, t Steve and I tend to be on the same page about these things. I would probably say three years for, for me personally. Yeah. See, like for me, like, I don't update my wardrobe, but I update my phone uh, pretty much every year. And I always say I'm not going to. And then here's the dumb thing. I get the beautiful, you know, stainless steel, whatever it is, iPhone. And then I put it in a plastic case and you can't see what it is in any way or fashion. Uh, Max Chatsko, every decade, every every 20 years, like how often is it for you here? <laughs> yeah, I still have that Nokia phone that has snake on it. Uh, I'm still trying to beat my <laughs> high score from the early 2000s. But uh yeah, maybe three, four years. I, I, I try to go as long as possible. And then I'm always blown away by like, phones do that now? Like, wow. Also, since the last time I bought a phone, like they keep getting way bigger. I like to use it when I run, which as you can tell, I haven't been doing much of lately. But they're like, it's harder to hold like a seven inch screen. Why do they keep making these bigger? I don't want a tablet. I want a phone. Message sent. You can just get a Fitbit and not have to run with your phone strapped to your back. Uh, Matt Cochran, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, every every three to four years. I mean, again, I, I buy cheaper Androids, so but some like sometimes around three years they start to like like fizz out on you. So like, but, but yeah, three three to four years, as long as I can, as long as I still get this, you know, a reasonable performance from them. Usually, it's the batteries that start to go, and it gets annoying ordering new batteries. They never work quite as well. So three to four years. 
We thank you for watching 7investing now. We do this every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We are live 99% of the time. Every now and then we do a tape show of travel or technology gets in the way, but the vast majority of the shows are live. Uh, the third Friday of every month, we do as many of the team members as we can. This is a any member of the team is welcome on any show, uh, but we rotate everybody in and out. We appreciate you watching. If you'd like to get in touch with us, that is info at seveninvesting.com. That is an email. It is usually Steve answering it. That is questions about your membership, questions about wanting to be a member, uh, maybe a procedural question, trouble finding something on the site, uh, that type of thing. If you want to interact with us, and we recommend you do, we are fun people to interact with with. Uh, that is at seven investing. If you're a member, tag us when you share your referral code, or if you are talking about a, having a great stock market conversation and want us to be part of it, uh, we are always happy to meet new people and to be able to advocate for seven investing just by sharing our opinions and, and, and talking about what we like. If you want to see, you know, an occasional vacation photo, follow us on social media. Of course, that would be indirectly, not through the main account. That would be through our personal accounts. Um, we thank you for watching. We will be back on Monday. Um, I don't know who's on Monday show. Sorry about that. I blanked a little bit there. We have not planned that one yet. Thank you for watching. We will see you then. Have a good day. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.